Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're extremely pleased to bring you in our first segment today, John Dean. Last week, Bill Moyers interviewed John Dean on national television. This weekend he was on NPR, and this week we have him on Radio Parallax. And joining us in our third segment today will be Michael Rupert, former Los Angeles police officer and the publisher and editor of From the Wilderness. Michael Rupert, rest assured, will have some provocative things to say about the Bush-Cheney administration. But let's return to our first guest today, John Dean. John Dean served as Richard Nixon's chief counsel for almost a thousand days, and uh, Dean is universally credited as the man that sunk Nixon's presidency. To those who say that, I would argue that it was Richard Nixon who sunk Richard Nixon's presidency, but John Dean was certainly one of the probably three most important figures in the Watergate scandal. Between June 25th and June 29th of 1973, Dean's testimony before the Senate Watergate hearing had the eyes of the entire nation, if not the world, focused on the Senate chambers in Washington, D.C., as he explained that Richard Nixon and the Nixon White House had been deeply involved in the cover-up over the burglary that had taken place at the Watergate apartment complex on June 17th of 1972. Once John Dean blew the whistle, everything changed in Watergate. For the first year between the burglary and his testimony, the Washington Post nibbled away at the periphery of the scandal. But once Dean said that the White House had been involved in the cover-up, the issue came down to this. Either John Dean was lying or Richard Nixon was lying. For 14 months, this battle went back and forth until it was proven, via the release of Nixon's own recorded conversations, that he was the one that was lying. John Dean served four months in custody for his role in the obstruction of justice as regarding the, um, the Watergate cover-up. But um, he's turned his life around since then and had a very successful career as an investment banking lawyer. He's written two excellent books about his role in Watergate, Blind Ambition, The White House Years, and Lost Honor. He's also written a biography of Warren G. Harding, and The Rehnquist Choice, the untold story of the Nixon appointment that redefined the Supreme Court. John Dean is here with us today to talk about Worse Than Watergate, the secret presidency of George W. Bush, his analysis of what is currently going on with the Bush-Cheney White House. John Dean, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thank you. You were an integral part of the Nixon administration and played a major role in revealing its flaws to the public in the Watergate scandal. You've also written a book on Warren G. Harding. So how a presidency can go wrong is a subject you're extremely qualified to comment on. You've written, George W. Bush and Richard B. Cheney have engaged in deceit and deception over going to war in Iraq. This is an impeachable offense. 
also evidence of the mentality that characterizes the Bush-Cheney presidency, which led to other abuses by pre- presidential power, not unlike those underlying Watergate, only worse. What galvanized you to write those words? Well, I actually started this whole effort. Uh, it isn't a book I'd ever planned. I write a bi-weekly column, and in my column I was noting that uh, I was trying to send up some flares. This, this administration was headed down a path that was very familiar to me, and I wasn't sure if they realized which path they were on. And uh, the more I looked at it, the sooner I realized that, uh, indeed, they knew exactly what they were doing, that this was not a mistaken path, but a matter of of policy. And uh, secrecy is a hot button with me, and I would have written the same book uh, had it been about a Democratic presidency. Fair enough. Um, One aspect of the Iraq conflict that seems to have been mostly ignored uh, prior to worse than Watergate is its illegality per Congress's own authorization of the war. You emphasized that uh, Congress wanted a formal determination presented that A, diplomacy would not settle the weapons of mass destruction threat, and that B, military actions were part of a 911 terror attack response. So please explain to the public how Bush met neither requirement before launching us into war. Well, this is the deal he cracked with the Congress uh, in getting them to go to war and giving him a, a resolution that was somewhat unprecedented that, that he wouldn't actually have to have the uh, the formal... Uh, resolution before going into Iraq, but within 48 hours he had to make this determination, and the laws, the federal laws are filled with uh, presidential determinations. It's a rather formal process by which a president, uh, because of his unique information access, presents Congress with his findings, uh, and that is not what Bush did. Bush was, he agreed to do this to make these determinations, uh, these, that there was no diplomatic avenue to resolve the weapons of mass destruction and, not or, and that this was consistent with the war on terrorism, implicitly meaning that there was a tie with either al-Qaeda or uh, some other terrorist organization, or bin Laden or or whoever. And the document he actually sent to the Congress within 48 hours of going into Iraq is the most remarkable document I have ever seen any president or any White House ever submit to the Congress. It is is, uh, a fraudulent document. I'd explain at some length in the book, not using legalese, but just in plain old English, you know, how distorted and I think self-evident this is. Uh, it's a document that has been totally overlooked by the mainstream media, and it is exactly the kind of situation that uh, uh, the founders had in mind when you go to Congress, you give them straight information when you're the president. Indeed, this came up during the uh, resolution of uh, uh, the side of our uh, our Constitution, and the founders said hey, you cannot make false statements to Congress. And this is a false statement to Congress, making it a high crime and misdemeanor. Well, I would agree that uh, worse than Watergate is worth owning, if nothing else, for your explanation of how the White House sent information to Congress, which was included in all these whereas clauses, and then cited that in its justification. Quite something. That's right. It's a little complex to, to explain in sound bites. Sure. But basically what Bush did is he submitted a draft resolution which had whereas clauses. The lawyers call these uh, purgatory language. They're hopeful language. The Congress basically ignores them. Most resolutions have some sort of whereas and then a resolve clause in, in, in a resolution. And what Bush did is he turned around and used the whereas clauses that he had submitted to Congress as findings of the Congress and saying it's on the basis of this I make my determination to go to war. He, he implicitly did that last night in his press conference. He, he said that Congress had relied on, on this intelligence to make its decision about uh, the war in Iraq. What's ignored is that uh, the Congress really hadn't made findings, uh, formal findings. 
Um, you cite 11 scandals in the book that could bring down the administration, even if they should win in November. Now, Ambassador Joseph Wilson's appeared on this program to talk about what happened to his wife after he challenged the administration, and you seem especially taken aback by the outing of Valerie Plame. Why? Well, it's one of the dirtiest tricks I've ever seen, uh, and I've seen plenty of them from my days in the Nixon White House and just as an observer of presidential politics. This was life-threatening. Uh, it was a clear effort to try to discredit uh, Joe Wilson, uh, and by doing it and turning on his wife, it, you get pretty low. And he not only was her life threatened, but those with whom she was dealing in her capacity or professional capacity as a covert operative put their life in danger. You know as soon as her name was surfaced that every country in the world where she'd had any dealings uh, were running their computers looking to see who she dealt with, checking her phone logs and records and what have you. And we don't even know the consequences of what may have happened uh, at this point. We do know there's a grand jury investigating this, however, because it's a criminal offense. And that grand jury uh, is being headed by the U.S. attorney in, in Chicago, uh, who, if he's half the reputable man that he is known to be, and I have every reason to believe that's the case, he will ask this president and this vice president what they knew and when they knew it, because the focus of that entire inquiry is on the uh, Bush White House. And you're on record as suggesting that if they don't get uh, justice out of the Justice Department, that they can, uh, they can launch a civil suit. Well, that's right. She does have that remedy. Uh, it's expensive to do. It, they will have a lot of uh, opposition, and they may not want to use their money for that purpose, but they always have that option. And that I'm convinced that either through a civil suit or through somebody in the press as this grand jury proceeds, will reveal exactly who it was who was the leaker in this instance, and that may solve the problem. The fact that the, the Bush White House has taken the position, well, we don't even think they'll find the leaker. When they, when they want to find leakers, they'll throw the book at the leaker. Uh, I cite in the, in the book an example of one uh, uh, poor Ph.D. who worked for the Drug Enforcement Agency down in Atlanta, uh, who leaked the fact that he thought somebody happened to be the richest man in England <laughs> was, uh -huh. should be subject to a, 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 a drug investigation. Almost 500 years of potential uh, time in jail for leaking a, an investigative report. Uh, so they can get leakers when they want them. Yes, they can, <laughs> as we'll, we'll talk about when we tell our students about, uh, about Watergate a little more. Um, one of the most chilling parts of your book for me was your discussion of the battle between the General Accounting Office and Dick Cheney, whom you regard as a virtual co-president. Now, as a lawyer, you seem amazed at the decision that was rendered and the lack of appeal that went, went down after that. This has gotten a fair amount of publicity, but the public has missed the full significance of the case, I think. At least I know I had uh, until I read your book. Why is this lawsuit so important? The lawsuit is important, because, and it's still ongoing in another uh, iteration, if you will. Uh, it's, it's presently before the Supreme Court. In fact, it's the case that uh, Scalia has refused to recuse himself from after duck hunting with the vice president. But it, what it has to do with, with, it started with GAO trying to get some very simple basic information about the energy task force that Cheney had set up that was clearly uh, helping uh, the energy industry in, at the expense of the environmental uh, issues that that raised. And uh, GAO had never had to sue a, a president or vice president in its entire history, uh, but Cheney refused it and uh, refused to give even uh, any information whatsoever and rather distorted what they were asking for and clearly was looking for a fight. GAO actually brought the suit. 
by a computerized system that is not loaded in any way, but a random samp uh, or sampling of judges, it selects which court cases go to which judges. And as fate would have it, the case GAO case went to a brand new judge just appointed by George Bush. And that judge got the message very quickly when the Solicitor General showed up in the trial court. And the Solicitor General represents the United States before the Supreme Court. But uh, uh, Ted Olson showed up in the trial court, and this judge had once worked for the Department of Justice. He got the message that this was a big deal case. And why is it a big deal? Because what the government was saying is that the vice president and president have a constitutional hole they can climb into that they can't be touched by Congress. Now, that isn't the way our system of checks and balance was designed to work. That's the way you can get yourself in a whole heap of trouble, and that's the way you start changing the fundamentals of our government. But they, are, they want to give this presidency power, the likes of which we've never seen. Same issue, in a sense, is now in a civil lawsuit uh, that uh, it was started by the Sierra Club and, a, and a, a group called Judicial Watch in Washington, where they've sought simple discovery to see if this, if, if this task force complied with federal law regarding advisory committees. And the vice president, again, has refused to produce any documents, and notwithstanding the trial judge refusing his position, the, the three-judge panel at the Court of Appeals refusing his position, the full panel of the Court of Appeals refusing his position, they have jimmied together a, a, a case to take to the Supreme Court that is fuzzy even that it belongs there, not unlike Bush v. Gore, and that is now before the court. And uh, it's quite clear where Scalia is coming out, and the Gang of Five may well say, hey, we're going to create some new law here. We're going to redefine the Constitution and, and create uh, and eliminate what they held Bill Clinton to in a civil suit, which was simple discovery in the Paula Jones case. They're now going to reverse themselves. Who knows? Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's very troublesome because it, it, it eliminates the checks and balance system, which has so, been so important to our system of government. Yes. As I was waiting for your publicist to get uh, the worse than Watergate to us, I pulled off the shelf uh, a book of yours that I had, had not gotten to, The Rehnquist Choice, which I also highly recommend. I think a few people know that you were instrumental in putting William Rehnquist's name before Nixon as he was considering Supreme Court appointees. Could you make a brief thumbnail summary of how you feel that turned out? Right. That, uh, they probably weren't aware of that book because it was shipped uh, two days before 9-11. Oh. And uh, if anything didn't have the title Osama or terrorism or, or Islam in it uh, in the first six months after there, those books were all sort of just went by the wayside. Uh, but in that book, what I did is I reconstructed what really was a three-act play uh, based on Nixon's recorded conversations, my own documents and memory, and, and reconstructed how Rehnquist was selected to the court um, and I must say, this is the first time in history we've ever been able to really analyze the selection process. And it's in talking to other White House counsel that have both preceded and succeeded me, I find the process isn't that much different from president to president. So I was able to show how this happened, how it is not as systematic as one might think, and how it is somewhat almost random that people end up on the Supreme Court. One final question is, the issue of secrecy and its excesses come up over and over in Worse Than Watergate. In fact, your book is subtitled The Secret Presidency of George W. Bush. What's most striking to you about the secrecy of this administration? I guess the most striking aspect is its obsessiveness and, and its totality. Usually, a presidency is, has limited its secrecy to matters of national security, which are very justified. 
and very and not inappropriate at all. This this presidency started its secrecy literally from the day they moved in. They they pulled the shades, closed the doors, and put a gag rule on. Uh, they have done everything. They've shrink wrapped the White House to try to prevent leaks. They have not been successful with all the departments and agencies, however. But uh, still, it is a pervasive and a, I find obsessive attitude towards secrecy that is, that's dangerous in a de- democracy. Our system works on accountability. If yeah. the voter doesn't have any idea what his officials or her officials are doing, there's no accountability. And there are also other ramifications of secrecy, that everything from bad decision-making to alienating uh, the people from their government, uh, all of which I sort of tie up in a bow at the end and, and, and tell of some of the serious consequences right. this could all have. Well, John Dean, I know, I know that we're out of time, but we want to thank you very much for coming on and talking with us. And perhaps when this book tour is over, you can come on and, and speak with us again. I have so many questions to ask you. <laughs> I'd like to do that when it's not quite so rushed doing your out promoting a book. Well, I'll try and talk but, to your people, see if we can, uh, we can arrange that. And good luck with the book. Uh, you have a wonderful message to get out there, and, and, uh, and I hope you continue to do that. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. We uh, certainly do hope that John Dean will return to this program, and I'm optimistic that he will do so. I've, I, I've got a million questions to ask about uh, Watergate and other things. His book on Rehnquist, by the way, is also a good read. It's amazing how much of the decision-making uh, Dean is able to reconstruct based on the fact that he's able to listen to the actual recordings central to the Watergate scandal that Nixon made of his own White House. I'm personally going to make sure that uh, we have five copies of Worse Than Watergate available for our pledge drive next week. So if you call in, let's see, what should we have you pledge? If you'll call in a pledge of $75 and request it, we will specifically provide you with Worse Than Watergate. Now, uh, I hate to give away the two best jokes in the book, but I think I have to share these with you. We didn't have time today to get into it, but uh, John Dean basically regards Dick Cheney as a co-president, something that we've never seen before in American history. Uh, He does note on on one point in the book that cynics have said that if anything happens to Cheney, Bush would become president. And I have to give you this quote from page six of the book. During the early months of Bush's presidency, I read his campaign autobiography, A Charge to Keep, which was ghosted by Karen Hughes, his longtime press aide, a work described by the Texas Observer as a political memoir so bad that reviewers have been calling around looking for ghost readers to review it. Now, we had a very good segment on Watergate on this program. It was July 11, 2002. If you'd like to order that CD, you can do so from info at radioparallax.com. Now, you heard him say it on the show, but I would like to repeat uh, uh, what John Dean has to say about the Valerie Plame Joe Wilson incident. From page 171 of Worse Than Watergate comes the following. Planting or leaking this story about Valerie Plame Wilson is one of the dirtiest tricks I've seen in lowball, hardball politics. I thought they played dirty at the Nixon White House, but this is worse for two reasons. Nixon never went after his enemies' wives, and he never employed a dirty trick that was literally life-threatening. The leak was an act of revenge against Wilson for speaking the truth about the Bush administration's bogus claim that Niger provided uranium to Iraq. It also sent a message to the intelligence community that if you mess with this White House, we'll mess with you. 
We have been talking to Joe Wilson's people, and it does appear that we will be able to bring him back to this program sometime in May. We're certainly looking forward to that. Let's take a break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Sacramento. 